Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there. This is Andy Anatko, and I'm welcoming you to this episode number 337 of the Material Podcast. I'm doing a solo today because our beloved Florence Ion is off on assignment, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a cozy little single today. Hope you enjoy it. This is, uh, 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 I, I do enjoy like how we start off the show usually with some back and forth about some updates, some conversation kind of eases us in. It's sort of like, you know, waiting for the appetizers to arrive before we get this big, big hank of steak that we're going to start to tuck into. Uh, but so you get to hear all about actually my trip to New York city. Now I have this, I'm not gonna give you a full travel log, but Oh boy, did I have fun. I, uh, I uh, spent four days in New York uh, to uh, ostensibly to go ahead and see an opera. Okay. This is, uh, I'm, I have a little bit of a surplus of operas right now because uh, I normally buy like two opera tickets a season at the, at the Metropolitan Opera. And uh, so obviously I didn't get to use any of my tickets last season. And they also gave me uh, a set of tickets, uh, free tickets uh, as a thank you for keeping my, my, my money parked inside the Metropolitan Opera instead of saying, hi, yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll take a refund on those tickets, please, for those canceled performances. So you're starting off with like already three performances three tickets that i have for this season unfortunately there's also like the weasel part of my brain that says that no 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 the rule isn't that we get to see two performances a year the rule is that we get to buy two performances a year the fact that we didn't go to any of them last year means nothing that means that we have these tickets the two that we paid for last season plus the free one we were getting we are, that doesn't mean that we don't get to also buy two more sets of tickets. Oh dear. So this is, it, it starts to become a little bit obsessive. Now, I think that the weasel part of my brain deserves a seat at the table, so to speak. Uh, if not for the weasel part of my brain, I would not have many of the things that I'm not entitled to. And I enjoy those things a lot. So I, I'm very grateful uh, to the weasel part of my brain. That does not mean the weasel part of my brain is always right. Because uh, when I talk about buying tickets, I mean like you know full price, decent tickets. That's what I budget for. Uh, and decent tickets cost about $150, $180 maybe. Um, uh, no less than about 100 bucks. These are, But these mean that I've, I've planned this months in advance. Uh, I know where I'm going to sit. I know it's going to be good. I, I can, I'm going to choose exactly uh, the show that I want to see. And I'm going to take a trip out to New York specifically for that. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the shows that I saw. There, this was a really good kind of weekend for that. The show that I'd planned to see for months and months and months since the schedule, uh, the, the 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 season season program was announced, uh, is a actually a brand new opera. It's hard to imagine there are such a thing as brand new operas, but Eurydice was uh, written in 2020. It actually debuted elsewhere like uh, three or four weeks before the lockdown terrible terrible luck there and uh, it got my attention immediately chiefly because uh, of Aaron Morley who, who was uh, singing the title role this was uh, this is how I tend to like discover new uh, new operas and new experiences uh, it really is like clicking through hyperlinks because uh, I, saw, uh, I saw I saw her in a supporting role a couple of seasons ago at the Met. As a matter of fact, I 
think that was again the the pre-lockdown season and she was so good in that role that uh, I thought oh boy if I get this, a chance to see her singing a lead that's definitely going to get my attention it's weird. I'm not this sophisticated. Oh my God, the the Tresimundo on that Allegrando. I don't think I've ever seen that since Maria Callas or Tanetta Ribaldi. No, it's it's more like things. A, it's just the an emotional reaction to. My God, what a great performance! And also little things like there was a there was a clip from uh, from a rehearsal that uh, they put on uh, on YouTube from the from the Met, um, in which uh, this her character takes a swig from a champagne bottle spits it out and then keeps on singing so we're right in the middle of her aria it just blew my mind that uh, <laughs> if she screws this up <laughs> there is no part in the score for this handel opera that says and then the and then the character coughs sputters <laughs> holds up her hand to the orchestra saying please give me 10 minutes to sort of like clear my throat this went this totally went down the wrong pipe you can't do that <laughs> Not at this level. You're you're expecting you'll, you'll have you'll have a meeting with HR after the after the show if that's what you do. But this is part of the staging, and she had to do that like for eight performances. That sort of thing really gets me. That uh, they said, you don't know, I'm a pro. I can do this. Give me this. I'll I'll do that. Um, and of course, she was wonderful in this opera. Uh, I I do. It did attract me that this was a 2020 opera. As I get. I've been seeing operas live for, gee, I don't know, like five, six, seven years. And uh, the old operas, the classics are gorgeous and they're wonderful. And there's a reason why they're classics. However, I've, oh, I have I want to like broaden my horizons. And so if there's something on the schedule that is not 100 years old, 200 years old, that doesn't, let's be honest, have like a the attitude towards women and society that a composer in a royal court in 1780 might have had that's a good thing uh, stretches your stretches your perceptions of of what opera can do makes it modern vibrant relevant all that sort of stuff uh, and boy did this one pay off it was weird but in a good sort of weird it was uh, it's the the classic greek myth of Eurydice. I, I i i'm probably mispronouncing it but who who cares uh, where it's the classic myth of uh, orpheus where uh Orpheus' Orpheus's wife uh, is taken to the underworld uh, and uh, seduced by uh, by the devil, and they uh, Orpheus goes down to, to to the under to the underworld to go get her back. The devil says, "Okay, fine, but if you got just walk out of here, uh, she will either follow you or she won't. Uh, you have to trust that she, that she's going to follow you, but you can't turn around and look back to make sure that she's behind you, or else the deal's off." And of course, it, she calls out to him. He turns around, boom, deals off. But uh, usually, the story is told from Orpheus's point of view. This, as the title indicates, is told from her point of view, and it is just an emotionally moving experience from start to finish. It's it's all about loss and memory and longing and mourning. And maybe it's because I'm old enough to have lost people uh, in all the ways you can lose people. And here I mean that sometimes uh, you know, people you love, they die. Sometimes it's a relationship and the relationship just doesn't work out. Sometimes uh, just as heartbreaking, you know somebody who has a degenerative disease and they're just losing their faculties. And at some point they just don't know who you are anymore or they don't remember their life with you or they don't, they don't remember 
you know, the role that you had in their lives, you know, that they're, you're their grand, you're their grandson or you're their niece, their niece or nephew or whatever. And it really does explore. What do you do with that? Do you, is it selfish to want this person that you love to remember you, to know who you are? Uh, is it dangerous to want to say, gee, what do this, these memories are, are the, is the, is the memories that you have, of this person that can no longer be in your life again, because they're just simply no longer here or because they have this disease. Uh, if, if you could have those memories removed, would you, or should you all this sort of stuff? And it's done in the most sensitive and delicate and truthful way. Uh, it really did feel a lot more like a drama than, uh, than an opera. And, uh, and of course, opera can be dramatic as, 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 uh, as the ring cycle is, you know, as, as Valkyrie, uh, riding a, riding a, riding a winged horse bull. That, that's very dramatic, I will say, but you know what I mean about uh, like a stage drama of just actors, just getting into these roles and getting hard into that kind of truth. The music took me a while to lock into, I will say that, uh, it's not the same melody of Nessendorma, Nessendorma, it wasn't. It didn't have the sort of things that anchor the the dialogue to the music the way the traditional music does. It was more as as though uh, the words that the actors were singing and the music that the orchestra was playing existed in the same space, but were separate from each other. Uh, and like I said, it took me a little bit to sort of get locked into that. However, once it did, it really created this environment that I kind of didn't want to end. I'm, I'm, I was very, very sorry that I wasn't. I was, I was only staying for four days uh, because I, it was a Saturday matinee, uh, and if I had been staying until Wednesday, I would have definitely seen this again because it was an experience I definitely wanted to repeat. Uh, the 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 matinee that I saw it was being streamed live to theaters like all across the all across the country, which means that now they have a recording of it. It, it'll, it might appear, it, it might be broadcast on PBS at some point. It might be available on streaming at some point if you do have an opportunity to see it. I'm not sure if it would be a great first opera for anybody, but boy, am I glad that this exists because as soon as I can get a copy and experience this again, I definitely will. Um, but that, that that was the that was the one that I paid real money for. Uh, excuse me, real money. As far as I consider real money to be, I, I will, I've never spent like top dollar for a ticket at the Met. Unfortunately, I, I would like to someday. Uh, but the great thing about the Met is that they also, it's a barn that this building, it, they have 4,000 seats and they're determined to, and they have no problem with letting the riffraff in <laughs> to, to help fill all of those seats. And they don't, and they're not making profits based on ticket sales. It's more like, look, if we, if we have an opportunity to make this more accessible for everybody and lower like the financial barriers, why wouldn't we like put people in seats? Why wouldn't we? And so like the, the minimum ticket price in the house is something like $35. And for that, you can get either, a seat kind of close to the action, but with a partial view, like you might not be able to see all the way into the back of the stage because you're off to the side, or you can get a seat dead in the middle, but kind of high up. Uh, but the great thing is that because there are so many seats there, there's usually seats like that available, like $35 seats available up to like the, the afternoon of the show. So you can walk in spontaneously decide, Hey, I think I'll see the first act of whatever it is. Pay 35 bucks, get in. Uh, it's kind of mind blowing when you consider that 
when I saw when I when I wanted to go to the observation deck of the Freedom Tower, that cost thirty bucks. So to take an elevator up to the top of a building and just sort of stand at a window and look out, that cost me thirty five bucks, thirty bucks to go into the Metropolitan Opera House, which in, in itself is a New York City landmark, beautiful building, really fun to explore, really and of course really fun to take selfies in. Uh, listen to a complete orchestra play music for three hours. Listen to a, a cast of the, some of the internationally best opera performers in the world sing for four hours. That cost thirty. That cost me thirty-seven. I think forty dollars, including like tax and the two-dollar like facility fee or whatever. Uh, that's kind of mind-blowing. Even if you just go in for the first act of something and come right back out again. This is all relevant because while I was while I was there. I read the reviews of the new production of Tosca, uh, and, and actually, it's not a new production. It was the, because the Met is the Met; they have resources, and they have storage, and they have they have money. They will spend kajillion dollars on sets and costumes and orchestrations for a new version of Tosca, a new version of Lucia de Lammermoor, a new new version of La Traviata. All, all, all the big hits, all, all the all the hits off the all the most famous album, and they will just simply every year or two or three they will put on their ver- that version of Tosca, and of course with a brand new cast every single time. As a matter of fact, the, this Tosca they're doing uh, one cast in the winter, one cast new and a new cast in the uh, in the springtime, but it got such hugely good reviews in the New York Times that uh, to bring this back to Google, Google News basically put this review into my newsfeed. And it was just glowing that these two leads were just amazing in every single way. And I'm like, we're we going to see another opera this weekend. Yeah, I think we're going to see another opera this weekend. And again, the weasel said, well, why not buy a really good ticket? Look, there are good tickets still available. And I had to say, thank you, weasel. <laughs> we're, not, we're not spending another $150 on impulse. Uh, we're we're going to buy the cheap tickets. So got the cheap ticket way up, a, up one of the top balcony rows, but dead in the center. Beautiful view. And it was just as good as the as the review said. Um, Tosca is again; it's one of the greatest hits. It's not experimental in any way. It's very conventional, very traditional, but it really does point out what I love about this art form. I, I love the fact that the performers, uh, if you if you if you want to make a living in opera, there are like a half dozen to a dozen roles that you're expected to master. It's like it's like being a baseball player. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to be able to hit a curveball. You're gonna have to bunt. <laughs> you're gonna have to like catch uh, catch a fly ball and cut off the runner from first base. These are basic skills that if you can't do these things, you cannot consider yourself a true professional or uh, someone who can have a real career in baseball. With opera, if you're you're gonna have to be able to sing Tosca, you're gonna have to be able to sing La Traviata, on and on and on. And so these performers. They're going to make their entire careers thinking about this role time and time and time again. This isn't like Broadway where uh, even a great actor who's in a great show, all they're thinking about doing this just once. Maybe they'll come back a couple of years later, but that would be a special situation. But a performer in opera, they're always thinking about their Tosca. I'm sorry, Tosca is the name of the lead characters. I'm talking about the a soprano who's singing the role of of Maria, Maria Tosca, whatever. Uh, uh, actually, aside, 
kind of cool that uh, Tosca is herself an opera singer. So I've, if I ever got to interview a, a, a soprano, I'd say, what is it when you're an opera singer who's playing the part of an opera singer? Do you, do you feel like to the, to perform it for the audience, you have to be more of an opera singer <laughs> than ever before, or is it to go someplace else? Um, but it's always super fun because again, every single passage of this music, they've been thinking about and thinking about and thinking about and trying new things, experimenting. Sometimes the production itself decides to go in a different direction. They don't, they never like change any of the music. They never change any of the dialogue or add extra scenes uh, to, but they can often change the intent or change how you perceive these characters just by the setting that they decide to put them in. Uh, like uh, La Traviata, uh, uh, the lead the lead character can be oh this poor wasted woman who's wasted her life in illicit uh, immoral acts turning her face from god but then for in the on the on her deathbed decides to turn towards god and blah 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 or you can in a more modern and more successful i think setting you can uh, the, 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 most of these performers will uh, play violetta as no she's look she's living in mid 19th century Paris. Okay. She has very, very few options if she doesn't, if she doesn't want to get married. And if she does get married, she's also going to be having no control over her life whatsoever. She made a series of choices that allows her to live life as an independent intellectual woman. And she's being very, very successful at it. And now she has to make a choice of whether she wants to modify that commitment or not, all this sort of stuff. So it it was great to bookend uh, this really experimental 2020 hard to lock into at the beginning sort of show with very very traditional it's it's like a like a two-egg omelet where it's very very simple it's going to be everyone going to be everyone's going to know what you're singing everybody knows the two big hits from this show and they're going to be comparing you to the greatest as a performer to the greatest opera singers who have ever sung this ever good luck with that (laughs) so this is this is why i kind of love this sort of stuff um, I do want to get into a little bit about Android uh, and Google on this trip uh, before we go to our first ad. It really showed, you know what this this was a this was a trip that really kind of uh, reminded me of all the things I really like about Android. Time and time and time again, it was delivering experiences and resources that I really really needed or really really valued. And not even just, hey, I've, I, I can take this phone out of my pocket and do this thing. I'm just talking about incidentally, we'll, we'll, we'll be this presence that will be this assistant that will sort of be by your side and be ready to jump in if you need something. Uh, from the moment that I left my house, I took an Uber to the train station and the, uh, the, my driver, uh, apparently English was not his, his primary language. Uh, but so uh, through, the, uh, through the Uber app, he messaged me uh, to say, hey, I'm here, I'm waiting uh, no problem. I have 10 minutes to wait because I, I, I pre, I pre arranged this thing, but still, uh, but of course it wasn't in English and that was not, not even one second of concern because, uh, Google detected Spanish, uh, inside the, inside the app, there was a little sort of like grayed out little like button or link underneath that saying translate. And I tapped it and got the translation. Great. And I, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed the fact that I, I kind of enjoyed this 
made a note of it so I could talk about mention this on the show. Uh, but I also really, hey, wait a minute, I got Google, I got the Google Translate app here. So I took like the usual boilerplate thing that I say to Uber Uber drivers when I'm leaving and typed into Google Translate, had it locked and loaded so the phone could speak it. And so when he pulled over and indicated that, okay, it's time for you to leave my car now, <laughs> I was able to tap a button and say, hey, thanks. I'll be sure to leave you good feedback in the in the Uber app. And he was he really he was really kind of chuffed by that. Oh, oh, okay, great, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, but also, this was uh, there were a lot of things I wanted to do while I was in New York, and obviously Google Maps facilitated that big time. I used a feature that I hadn't used before, uh, which is to uh, obviously you can bookmark locations. I hadn't been really really super aware that you can also. Uh, take a Google Maps navigation and save it as like a shortcut on on your home on your home screen. So not oh well, here's how to get from like I'm staying with uh, with my with a friend of mine in one of the outer boroughs and so uh well how I it, I'm not just simply talking about here's how to get from the Metropolitan Opera House to uh my friend Dave's house. It was more like here's how to get from wherever you happen to be your current location to your friend's Dave house, friend Dave's house, and so like my God, how why do I not have that like as a shortcut for the past two or three years, uh, and all the places that I kind of wanted to go to like there's a David Bowie pop up shop uh, in pop up shop in Soho uh, that I that I wanted to check out because it's gonna, only going to be around until like January, but of course I don't know where I'm gonna where I'm gonna start from uh, during this weekend, but you just create the shortcut. Drop it there, boom! Tap it when you when you got to go. But the big winner was were my Google Pixel Buds A. Uh, I got these ninety nine dollar earbuds that I got, of course, for free when I bought my Pixel, my pre order my Pixel Six Pro. It really underscored something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. There's been a lot of discussion about how uh, virtual reality and augmented reality is going to transform the world. It's going to be the new augmented reality glasses from Apple are going to be the new iPhone. Everyone's going to blah, blah, blah. Okay. That remains to be seen. There's so many things they got to solve both technologically, both with software and with society to make this happen. Good idea, but let's see if it actually pans out. However, I've always thought that the, the, the real meat here is something that's immediate and cheap, which is just, let's just have an earbud, that talks to your your phone assistant, whether it is uh, S I R I or the Google Assistant, and the missing link here. And you, you've always been able to do this. I've always been able to do this. If you've got a pair of twenty dollar like Bluetooth uh, wired earbuds, uh, if you just press and hold like this little button that on the wire that's dangling from your ear, you can act- activate the assistant. But I think that the Pixel Buds A really, really prosecute this in a way that I have not been able to experience before and it's all it's not because of the the technology again we've had this technology for a few years now what we haven't had or excuse me what i haven't had was an earbud that was light and comfortable that i could keep in my ear for hours and hours and hours at a time Uh, the design of the pixel buds is such that uh, it nestles really nicely. It's very, very light. Nestles very nicely inside my ear. It has that little silicone. I don't. Uh, I don't know what you'd call the like a little stubby sort of little tail that sort of nestles, finds one of the whorls in your uh, in your ear lumpy structure and sort of nestles in there to sort of give you an extra little bit of like keep inage, <laughs> keep in technology, and uh, uh, but also the fact that it's small. 
It is inobtrusive. It doesn't look unlike uh, uh, Apple AirPods where I have this popsicle stick sticking out of my, my ear. You won't see this in my ear unless you are looking at my ear from the side. So it's not like I'm hiding anything, but it's not as though this will enter, this will influence how you interact with me in any way, shape, or form. And of course, if I'm wearing augmented reality glasses, just like Google Glass, part of the question is going to have to be, Am I look? Am I interacting with you, or I'm interacting with these glasses, and you're interacting with the glasses from the other side? Oh, and by the way, are you recording this? This is not so. It doesn't inter- It doesn't influence my interaction with the real world at all. It stays completely out of the way, and its its whole control surface is that just is just simply this little Mentos like uh, surface uh, of uh, of the part in my ear. So I can just simply tap it. I don't have to fumble for where's the popsicle stick. Do I have to squeeze the popsicle stick, or when I tap it, am I going to be knocking it out of my ear? It's just uh, just tap, double tap, tap and hold. That's all uh, to access the assistant. And really, because I, I had business going on while I was going while I was doing stuff, most uh, I, I do a hell of a lot of walking in New York when I'm in the city. So as I'm engaged in like 15 or 20 minutes of walking to get from point A to point B, a message comes in, it reads to me, I can respond to it, or I need to. I've just had an idea and I want to record a note. All this, all this sort of stuff you can use with an assistant. But the idea of being able to do that without breaking my stride, without having to take anything out of my pocket. Uh, the uh, and of course the ability to have uh, Google Maps keep on cueing me as to where the next turnoff is and where what the next street I'm sort of headed for is, uh, without again having to take out without having to turn lock my focus onto a phone screen. All this sort of stuff is really really great stuff. And once again, it came down to a physical design. I think that I can often overlook how important it is to just get the physical object right. That That's the reason why I had this thing in my ear for four or five hours all afternoon and didn't take it out. And that's why I had it available to me all afternoon. And that's why I was using this feature that's existed for years and years and years in a way that when I was wearing my AirPods, never did, never really did it. When I had my Sony, you know how mellifluous the Sony product names are, the Sony MDF 1000 M4A, whatever, you know, they're, they're wireless earbuds, which sound great, sound much better than the Pixel Buds A, but they're chunkier and they're, they're, they're a little bit fussier and that's the, and they're not as comfortable to wear all day. I don't want to say that I want to become an evangelist for this stuff, but it really did make me want to tell people how good this experience was and how that had to do with just simple, simple physical design. Uh, last thing before we move on, and my goodness, we do need to move on there. Uh, uh, I will share with you a really great life decision I made a number of years ago. As you know, I live alone. I don't have kids. One of the benefits of having kids, I think, is that they come home from school and they have like cardboard turkeys that they made <laughs> out of construction paper or you know cardboard like Christmas trees and stuff. Uh, and they're so. Oh, by the way, uh, the, the school, the school, uh, the school Christmas, the school holiday concert is next week. I'm gonna be playing the recorder. And oh, great, oh, okay, great, great little travel fast. Look, oh, looking forward to seeing that. I'm gonna be shooting video. All these cues that sort of bring Christmas into the house uh, or the holidays into your house. All those cues are missing. So there was a time where I realized that once again, oh my God, it's like. December 23rd, I don't feel like this has been anything but another normal like month of the year. It seems like I've wasted opportunity. And I'm not about to say, but this is a time we're meant to think about the Christ child and peace on earth and goodwill towards all mankind. No, no, no. But it's it's cool where you go outside and there, there are places where they put lights on all the trees, you know. 
and it's not instead of like paper cups and 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 Dunkin' Donuts wrappers, and, and they're 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 places where you can just hear people singing and it just all kinds of really cool stuff. It's a it's it doesn't happen all other times of the year. It's a kind of a joy you can tap into, and you may as well tap into it. So a, a while ago, I'm talking about like ten years ago, I decided that okay, we're going to put this on the schedule every year, a day in which we go into Boston and just spend the entire day getting getting my Kringle on, so to speak. Okay, let's really experience it. Let's make sure. Let's not just do this. Hey, we should probably get around to this. No, let's actually schedule this. And later on, I kind of turned this into if I can more often than not a trip to New York for the weekend or for an overnight just to see if you want Christmas overload, holiday overload. Yeah, uh, New York City is the place to go. There, it will. It, it will. It will. You, you. You don't have to get your Kringle on. Your your Kringle will be put upon you, <laughs> almost like it's snowfall. It's like you cover. You're covered in Christmas <laughs> if you take a walk through. Um, and yeah, this it really did it for me this time. This really came through. Just being in Union Square and thinking that oh, I got like I got to be someplace in two hours, and I'll just take a long walk through. And you're spending the first 15 minutes just like standing like not far from where you exited the subway because these two singers are just singing beautiful songs, uh, holiday songs and songs from the American Songbook, but gorgeous songs, uh, gorgeous singing. And just I'm going to stand there for 15 minutes and I'm going to just simply enjoy all of this. And yeah, it's I, I, I went home with a big smile on my face for that and so many other reasons. So um whatever whatever your belief system is whatever you know whatever you're into whatever you're not into um i'm very much in favor of december being pivoted from a religious holiday of christmas and we'll we'll sort and and the the christians are nice enough to allow other groups to sort of get in under get in on some of that action by whatever uh it's a it's a fun time uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, it's being turned into again a dis- the December holiday season, as opposed to a religious festival or a religious occasion. Again, if it's if you celebrate a religious holiday during that, that I don't think that takes away from uh, the way that you celebrate and the way that uh, the way that you observe your faith. But it's great that to be able to walk through the park on the way to the subway and be surrounded by colorful lights and animated <laughs> animated reindeer and animated snowmen. I, I think that's pretty darn cool. So try to carve out some time during the season to, to get that on for yourself uh, because you'll, you'll be able to see it on uh, New Year's Eve too, but you'll probably be too drunk to really appreciate it. Well, we're going to be talking about a couple of actual Google topics, not just all about Andy here. Uh, Google's being sued. Well, what's, what else is new? Uh, by a couple hundred newspapers. They dialed apparently an 800 number lawyer service, uh, but there could be a little bit of trouble. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Roku and YouTube, they've decided, they decided to kiss and make up. Uh, there are a couple of new uh, new bugs that Google is patching that could have been creating problems. Uh, we got a new Pixel Watch and I'm going to talk about the Google Pixel and the new Hawkeye series on Disney Plus, thus making all my comic book purchases of 2021 tax deductible. We'll be on that right after this. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving people to your products, collecting sales leads for your company, or providing customer service with a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business. Not to mention the bad experience for your users. But there is a solution. Transaction monitoring from Pingdom. 
Starting at just $10 a month, Transaction Monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment there is a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, OpsGenie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who's alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website. You should be the first to know. And it's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you're ready to buy, use code MATERIAL at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of the Material Podcast and all of Relay FM. Well, it's not much of a secret that uh, Google has used its market dominance to, well, dominate markets, crush competition, uh, keep its uh, iron boot heel on the neck of uh, a free populace, and not really much caring about the consequences. Now, turns out that there are some people who have problems with that. Uh, some of them are within the United States government and other world governments, uh, and some are actual private uh, corporations and uh, individuals. Uh, turns out that uh, this week, Google is being sued by more than 200 newspapers. Uh, Axios is reporting that about 30 different companies that represent more than 200 regional newspapers, mostly in the South, I notice, uh, are suing Google and Facebook, charging that that, uh, these companies have been harmed by the company's domination and manipulation of the market for online ads. Uh, The suit was filed in New York State. It's actually a consolidation of lots of individual suits that have been filed over the past year. More on that in a moment, though, uh, they definitely have a point uh, in a separate set of lawsuits. 14 different state attorneys general have alleged and very thoroughly documented thanks to uh, the, thanks to uh, documents that they forced uh, internal documents from Google that uh, uh, they were forced to hand over uh, documented Google's tactics in controlling the market for online advertising. Uh, they uh, and they were very, very, very brutal in documenting how Google uh, used its own technology and its own dominance to basically make sure that the the so-called waterfall scheme uh, for uh, for ads by which uh, a uh, web page or a, a news organization for, in this case uh, that has hey I've got these three ad spaces on this page that this user is about to is about to display uh, who wants who who, who, will, who will buy this uh, it, the waterfall scheme is that it's that it's offered to to uh, one ad network and then if they say no to this price to another network at a lower price then another network at a lower price another network at a lower price Google have manipulated this to make sure that not only are they getting the ad, the the best real estate like the the ads for the most uh the websites or the the articles with the greatest reach the greatest power the greatest demographics but they were also managing to figure out how to pay the least amount of money for it and when advertisers found a way to sort of kill that off via a system called header bidding uh, google according to in this uh, inside of documents uh, saw that as quote as in as existential threat that had to be killed and of course they managed to kill it so this again 14 attorneys general are suing them basically trying to punish google for having done wrong the department of justice is hot on their heels this lawsuit is more like they just want to be they, they want the money uh, and it's a little bit of, of a weird suit in that 
Um, according to Axios, again, lawyers are all doing this on a contingency basis. They were also there's a certain harvesting of operations where they were looking around for little lawsuits that they could add to this suit to basically make it more powerful. Um, I did think that it was relevant that bigger companies like News Corp aren't involved in this lawsuit. News Corp has been behind a lot of uh, legal attacks against Google's ad business internationally. Again, it's a huge corporation going after a huger corporation. So it's not David versus Goliath. It's like Goliath versus Goliath's temp. Like a, a temp that was hired is clearly being groomed to replace Goliath. I don't know. That, 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 that went nowhere. Please forget that I said that. Uh, so it's – I don't know. This is a little bit shaky. I don't know. They're going after all the money that they claim that these papers would have made ever uh, without uh, Google's interference. And there's the possibility of triple damages in play. Um, organizations that are representing the news industry as a whole, they're not involved in this suit, although they have said that, okay, yeah, that's good. Go ahead. They, they support this suit. Google made a statement that they're heading out to pretty much everybody who asks. Uh, quote, these claims are just wrong. The online advertising space is crowded and competitive. Our ad tech fees are lower than reported industry averages, and publishers keep the vast majority of revenue earned when using our products. We are one of the world's leading financial supporters of journalism and have provided billions, billions of dollars to support quality journalism in the digital age. Yes, he turned into George Takai, one sentence into that. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, Okay, well, is this okay? Well, it's absolutely true that Google has been manipulating the market for online ads. Um, it's a clear win for other ad, ne ad networks who are suing. Uh, the uh, papers and governments uh, that have been on Google about this have also alleged that Google has scraped or stolen content from papers and uh, from newspapers. That's one of the things that News Corp has been on them for, that Google's, uh, Google should simply be paying the newspaper industry on a, as an ongoing basis because uh, the newspaper industry is providing them with content that they are then uh, – that Google is then integrating into search and other, uh, other Google products. Uh, so it's interesting what this lawsuit is all about. So this, this, this lawsuit isn't about any of that. It really is all about that I don't know. They're saying that – I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out, are these newspapers arguing that Google is responsible for the shift to digital ads in general? That newspapers and these newspaper groups would have built their own ad networks that would have been hugely successful. They would have been able – an individual newspaper would have been able to sell ads directly on the same playing field. Um, I'm – yeah, it's, it's hard to know that – what would what would have happened? Like, is this uh, the newspaper business? Obviously, is in a financial shambles. That's pretty self evident. But one of the things that is not discussed as fully as maybe it should have should be is that the fact is that digital ads are providing a better product to the the, the customers of digital ads, which are the people who have products and services that need to be advertised. And when you think about uh, if 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 you ever get your hands on like a newspaper from the nineteen nineties. Boys, does it point out how different, uh, how poised digital advertising was to absolutely upset the entire table? Uh, these newspapers are being supported by all these ads for cars, classified ads, real estate, all of these different, on and on and on, all these categories that if you're, if I am, if I'm a car dealership, I am much more happy uh, selling ads on cars.com or on 
other websites or other services where I can sell cars specifically to people who are actually looking for cars at that moment. Also, point by point by point, I can sell targeted ads specifically towards the person I think will buy this car that I'm trying to sell or will respond to this campaign that I'm trying to put forward. And furthermore, I will get finely grained information back on who clicked on this, who saw this, how many of those clicks resulted in sales. That was not something that a print ad was ever going to be able to solve. So a lot of the argument that online ad, the online ad business has killed newspapers is predicated on the proposition that the newspapers on their own would have figured out how to get into the digital ad business themselves, which is not preposterous, but you have to remember there was a time when it was possible to buy an entire ad network, which is what Google did when Google, Google was a small ish company and was able to buy this smaller company. And it was such a, they, they made a, they made a shrewd gamble that paid off big time. And then of course they manipulated the industry and decided to, they don't want any sort of competition. And by the time the newspaper industry caught up with reality, they had been locked out of this entire industry. That's fair. That's a, that's a good thing to say. However, we also need to say that would have would newspapers have faltered the way they have in any sort of environment in 2021, despite Google uh, Google and Facebook's manipulation of the market, remains to be seen. This is sort of this is a minor, I think, sort of uh, salvo for Google because once again, it's mostly like low to mid level players. It's not like the massive titans of the of the uh, news publication industry that are going after them. It's certainly nothing compared to attorneys general that are basically, they do the Google can write a check. Okay. They got money. They can write a check. If all these lawyers want is to be paid off at some point, they will find a, a function room at a Ramada and sit down, hash out a deal and write a big check. What Google and Facebook are really f- uh, afraid of is uh, state attorneys, attorneys general, the federal government, governments in the EU, basically saying you cannot run your business anymore. You, are, you have to dissolve. You have to divest yourself of this entire business, and now your business is going to be under such tight regulation that you will never be able to prosecute it uh, this maliciously ever again. So, but still, good to talk about. Um, more of practical note for people. Now you notice that uh, we're recording on uh, December 9th. This was the day that uh, YouTube, the YouTube app, was supposed to disappear from the Roku, Roku app store for months and months and months all year long. Roku and YouTube have been going tooth and nail over renegotiating access to YouTube TV and YouTube for uh, for Roku users through the uh, Roku uh, Roku app store. Uh, they had already torched YouTube TV. The YouTube TV was not was withdrawn from the app store. Continues to work on all the Roku devices where it had been already already installed, but would not be available to uh, for installation on uh, on new devices. Which is kind of big when you talk about the holiday season coming up when people are buying new Roku TVs, new Roku powered devices, on and on. Uh, so December 9th uh, was supposed to be the day when uh, Roku lost U- the YouTube app itself. Uh, the entire thing had devolved into such uh, rancor. Uh, in October, when talks had finally collapsed, and they announced, "Well, I guess okay, we have no agreement. I guess no, no, I guess December 9th is the day when all this goes away." Uh, Roku posted uh, to their blog to their users. 
quote, this kind of blatant retaliation and monopoly con- monopoly conduct is likely why the United States Department of Justice and 30 state attorneys general are investigating Google for violating fair competition laws. Uh, well, they finally seem to manage to, uh, to, to solve all of that. I mean, they, again, this is really, really bad. You, you recall that negotiations were so bad that they're kind of reminds you of the act for falling action part of free tags pyramid story structure. Uh, if so, if Roku and Google were partners in a romantic nineties uh, rom-com, this is the part at which we hate each other. I'm going to take your car and fill it with, fill it with cement. Oh no, it's my pride and joy. It was my dad's car. Uh, that That's how bad things had gotten. It would have been funny, uh, but you don't want to see uh, you, you don't want to see Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan fight at this point. You kind of want to say, look, you know, we're going to get together. Just get back together. So as expected, this was all kind of brinksmanship and a new deal was announced on December 8th, one day before the deadline uh, via Roku's official a Twitter account. They announced effective today. We have agreed to a multi-year extension with Google for YouTube and YouTube TV. This agreement represents a positive development for our shared customers, making both YouTube and YouTube TV available for all streamers on the Roku platform. So it, it didn't, as worded, it doesn't really sound like they feel as though this was a major victory, does it? Especially compared to what they were saying in October. Uh, the terms of the agreement were not revealed Roku, you'll remember, had been claiming that YouTube, uh, the, the big stumbling block for them was that YouTube was insisting on getting much, much, much more access to user data than they were getting uh, under the old agreement, as well as demanding preferred representation in the Google, in the Roku inter- interface. Like they want YouTube results to be top of the list in Roku search results, uh, on and on and on. And that's that's what, that's what they were digging their heels about. Um, but uh, honestly, Roku probably finally knuckled under just to do what they had to do to keep youtube if you want to know did was it more important that youtube be on roku or was it more important for roku to keep keep to have access to youtube consider that shares of roku were up 18 percent on the news according to cnbc immediately uh whereas youtube's uh youtube was flat it didn't really affect them at all uh I think Google also kind of knew that they had the upper hand in negotiations, particularly as things proceeded, that uh, the company stock was is right now is still way, way, way down. It lost like 50, uh, at, at the lowest point, I think it was down 50%, according to that CNBC report, uh, not just because of the drama of possibly losing one of the one of the two most important streaming streaming channels in the entire internet, but also the fact that the pandemic is easing off people are spending are no longer necessarily in lockdown all the time they're no longer you know streaming 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 all the time so a lot of i think a lot of investors who had been buying up roku because oh my god last year it's doing nothing but the streaming is becoming more and more important all these streaming streaming companies are going to be more and more valuable and so they kind of had to claw back some of those losses all that plus my god how do you sell a a streaming platform uh, streaming hardware without having access to youtube it, I, I would have loved to have known exactly what all the details of these negotiations were. Like, were did Roku even have a whole lot of power to push back? They are the number one streaming hardware available in the United States. Uh, the dongles are nice, the boxes are nice, but it's pretty much that they're becoming really, really successful in getting Roku pre-installed on on all t- pretty much all TVs that are just simply bought. People are buying TVs; they're just plugging it in, activating Roku, and off you're off and running. But even that was not a great – there are limits to how important that would be to, to YouTube and to Google, whereas 
Roku, you cannot sell somebody a TV and say, oh, by the way, you can't, we don't, we don't have access to YouTube. Hey, but we have this from the roof, from the Roku channel store. We have this, well, they're really, really, really horrific fundamentalist, <laughs> isolationist, obstructionist <laughs> pulpit sermons that will kind of like send your eyebrows every time. But hey, it's something. It's something to watch. So, okay. The, congratulations. Peace has been declared in our lifetime. Let's just see if the peace lasts. We'll be back after this message. This episode of Material is brought to you by Automators from Relay FM. If you like this show, there's a good chance you'll like automators. There are so many daily tasks that we all do that could be automated for us. And time spent on tasks that could be automated is time you could get back. If you want to make your devices do more for you, you need to listen to automators. Your hosts, David Sparks and Rosemary Orchard, cover a huge number of programs, apps, and ways that you can automate things in your life. So you have more time for the important stuff. Some really great episodes include automated communications, covering how you can automate the ways you communicate with other people, automation workflow with Merlin Mann, widget home screen nerdery, cloud automation check-in, which looks at all the popular cloud-based automation services, including where they work and where they don't. Listen to David and Rosemary bring automation to the people at relay.fm slash automators or search for automators wherever you get your podcasts. Well, here's a kind of a scary one. Uh, it turns out that there's been a bug uh, in Android slash Microsoft Teams that breaks 911 services. Uh, I've been following this for about a week or so. This was actually on the docket for last week's show. Uh, but I kind of struck it off at the end because it was kind of weird. Uh, um, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. There was a Reddit thread someone posted last week about a really weird bug that they encountered uh, that they reported that uh, uh, their grandma needed medical assistance. Uh, I think the their mom had called them, and so they in turn decided to use their phone to try to call 911 uh, on behalf of their mom or whatever uh, to get help for the grandmother. Called 911 on their Pixel 3 phone, which was running Android 11 on the Verizon network. They report that he dialed 911, heard one ring, and then the phone app just locked up completely. They could switch to other apps, but they had no access to the phone app. It just would not work whatsoever. The phone reported that the uh, that the phone had sent the user's location to emergency services, but that's it. And also, that's not useful because they were not the ones in trouble. They were trying to direct help towards their grandma's, grandma's house. Uh all was fine. He was he did he was forced to use a landline, uh, and their grandma's okay. Uh, but that's super super scary. That's super super scary for me because I only have a landline in this house technically because I get a better deal uh, for my internet if I have it as a package. Believe it or not. And there's a phone jack. I know where the phone jack is, but there's nothing plugged into it. And now I've got myself thinking that perhaps I should just keep like a plastic handset plugged in and stuck in a phone with a ringer turned off just in case I need to call 911 and my phone lets me down. Uh, I, like I said, I, I came across it last week. I kind of gave it a lot of thought. I wrote it up. Uh, it was just such a strange bug. I, I couldn't I couldn't find any mention of it anywhere else. No one else seemed to have reported this bug ever. Um, and given that Android 11 has been out for a long time, pixel three has been out for a very long time. Uh, it should have come up before. It seems as though it should have come up before, which meant that either this post from a Reddit user might not have been all that it seemed, 
or that it was such a freakish bug that I needed to get more. I, I, I wasn't comfortable finding out about it on like a Monday and then talking about it on a Wednesday. That's as simple as it gets. Uh, but in the meantime, Google did see that did see that report. Act did an investigation, acted on it. It turns out that there was a weird bug uh, that had never surfaced before because it was interacting with uh, Microsoft Teams. It turns out that if someone has the Teams app installed but they're not logged into Microsoft Teams, then this bug can be triggered. They were able to reproduce it. So they are advising people that uh, Google and Microsoft obviously see this as a high priority fix. They promise that they will have a fix out in the January 4th update that they push out to everybody, uh, all, to all Pixel devices. Uh, Microsoft has said they will also be fixing Microsoft Teams. In the meantime, the advice is if you just uh, if you just remove the app from the phone and then reinstall it, that will fix it. Uh, but obviously there's an underlying cause that uh, was only surfaced because of this one specific uh, type of uh, type of interaction, and uh, Google is saying no, we're fi- we're fixing the that particular bug, so it won't uh, happen again, whether it's triggered by Microsoft Teams or anybody else. Moving on, okay, no, there's no there's no rumor like an old rumor, like a like old rumors we know, and there's a brand new set of Pixel Watch rumors. That's uh, Rumors aren't the most interesting thing to talk about because eventually we'll find out what's true. You know, if uh, if Google is working is really is working on a folding Pixel phone, at some point they'll announce it. We'll find out what it is. In the meantime, no one's going to die that because they didn't know about it. It's nice to know what's kind of might be over the horizon in case you know that uh, you in case you got a thousand bucks put aside for a new smartphone and you're wondering maybe I should wait another year. Okay, that's kind of useful. But otherwise, you're talking about stuff where it might happen, it might not. What's the source? Of course, they can't really share their sources because their sources are not uh, official. So who knows? Uh, but yeah, there's a good reason for talking about this new Pixel Watch rumor. Uh, Business Insider is reporting ha- that they have inter- internal sources that are saying that, yep, they're definitely working on a Pixel Watch. Might be released in 2022, but definitely they want to get this fast-tracked. According to the report, it's being designed and built by the Pixel Group, not by the Fitbit Group. Google bought Fitbit earlier this year. They rather they closed the deal that they started last year for more uh, for more than two billion dollars. It, it will be a Pixel. They don't they don't have a, a confirmation of the name. They don't know whether, whether it's going to be called a Pixel Watch. But they are saying that uh, in terms of what's the soul and the origin and the character of this device, that it is going to be a Pixel device in the sense that the design. Uh, it'd be nice. It'll be nice to, if uh, they sell a kajillion of them and Apple withdraws from the smartwatch market because they can't compete. We dare to dream, uh, but uh, really the purpose of this is to show off what the Android ecosystem can do, what the Wear OS ecosystem can do when the company is trying to create the most emphatic, strong commercial case for this that, that can be, as opposed to making compromises to adapt to the market, so to speak. So, which is always, which is really encouraging. It's one of the reasons why I have uh, Pixel phones because it, I think Android is fantastic. The things I typically don't like about Android are when other companies kind of hob it, you know, hobnail it, hobnail it, hobble it. Okay, we'll say. Uh, basically, make it less than it can be because they have their own commercial interests. Like, let's add all kinds of bloatware to it. Let's change the user interface to something that will get people thinking that they're using a Samsung phone and not a Google, not a Google phone. Whatever. 
this is this is why I've been a Nexus user and then a Pixel user. So the idea of a wearable that is designed to have that same sort of ethos as the as other Pixel devices that really gets my attention. Um, Verge adds the Verge is also talking about this uh, because uh, this insider report has kicked off kicked loose a lot of stones and kicked off a lot more conversation. Uh, the Verge consulted its own sources and they claim that it's going to be positioned more like an Apple Watch than as a Fitbit and have a price to match. Uh, Verge's coverage also reminds us of what Rick Osterloh, who's Google's head of hardware, uh, said to their own Dieter Bohn earlier this year during the acquisition uh, of Fitbit. They said that uh, Osterloh said at the time that, yes, Google is working on an in-house wearable. Yes, Fitbit will be releasing fitness wearables that run Wear OS in, in the future. But no, it's going to take some time for this to happen because the team was still getting settled into Google. Um, it would be interesting if this kind of revealed what Google has planned for Fitbit, that if Google decides to use the pixel brand for their high end Apple watch, like $250, $300 wearables, but then use the Fitbit brand and the Fitbit sort of trade dress for the ones that are more affordable for their fitness trackers, like their hundred dollar trackers, all the way up to their very, very good $200 trackers that are uh, built like Casio G-Shock so that no matter what you're doing, if you're triathloning, it'll be oblivious to sweat, oblivious to impact, oblivious to all this other sort of stuff. Um, it's also a nice piece of information given that uh, the other big Wear OS reveal from 2021 has been that Google is not necessarily giving in on the competition with Samsung. However, they seem to have achieved a sort of tactical alliance where Samsung is leaning away from Tizen as their smartwatch operating system and embracing Wear OS. It's no longer this freak option for uh, smart for their Samsung uh, Samsung Gear watches now they're the they're sort of the default, which is nice because the hardware has always been letting down uh, Pixel, excuse me, has always been letting down Wear OS traditionally, whereas Apple has aggressively put developed custom CPUs, custom logic for all of their all of their uh, Apple watches, making them smart, fast, light, incredible. Apple has, uh, Google has been relying on Qualcomm, which is like eh. We have a new, we have a new, you saying you want a smartwatch chip? Okay, I guess we have these chips for smartphones from 20, 2009. We still haven't sold yet. I guess we could just sort of, I mean, if you want them, they just cannot be motivated to give a damn. Uh, so they're going to have Google, if they want something to happen for smartwatches for, for Android and Wear OS, they're going to have to do them do it themselves. Um, the Insider Report is, uh, in addition to the Verge, Verge chimed in, but also John Prosser. Uh, I don't want to call I don't want to call leaker because that kind of denigrates the work that goes into trying to break these stories as early as possible. Yes, John Prosser's business is to report things before anybody else, which means that his standards are going to be lesser than the verge might be than the new york times might be than the wall street journal might be um however i think that he is upfront about how uh, i don't know it's he's somewhere above a rumor monger somewhere below the wall street journal let's say uh, meaning that he'll he'll go on what he feels to be a good preponderance of evidence even if he doesn't have it 100 locked down but sometimes he does have kind of have it locked down unless he's lying uh he, earlier this year for instance he mentioned he had a report i think in april uh with renders that he commissioned of what the pixel watch would look like based on the information he had about his design 
Uh, and uh, so now he, all of this stuff that was in those renders is not contradicted by any of this new stuff that the insider has. Also, he claims to have now uh, actual marketing materials that uh, with actual like product photos or at least official Google renders of the device. Uh, and so there are photos of like laptop screens showing these marketing, marketing materials. So they're not the highest of quality. So we have to obviously introduce into the conversation, well, what if someone faked this up, decided to do it as a photo of a laptop screen to sort of hide that these renders and these image that this, this content is kind of weird, kind of questionable Okay, that's that's whether you again that's whether you believe John Prosser's credibility or not on this story. But uh, but let's report what he's reporting uh, that uh, it looks the the images that are in these marketing materials, so called, uh, looks just like like a more refined version of what he rendered. It looks like a very very pretty watch, round face, no bezel, sort of a curved glass screen. Uh, a single like stem button. I don't know what, I can't tell whether it's a push button or whether it's a scrolling button like, uh, uh, like was on the Apple watch. looks like a Moto 360, like an original Moto 360, but imagine with like five or six years of additional refinement and engineering, it does look like a very pretty watch that you'd want to put on your rich wrist. Uh, the material, the average, the marketing materials use the phrase at a glance as a recurring theme. Uh, and all the screens are really, really very simple. Like your fitness at a glance, there was something at a glance. This would imply a break from Apple's system of um, complication. That's actually what they call them, of course. The ex, uh, that the, that's the actual watch term where, yes, you have the time, the, the hands of the time. But, okay, here's a compl- that initial complication that shows phases of the moon. Here's an initial complication uh, that shows the date in – what's the date going to be on Mars if this we're in that gravity – and as a result, sometimes the screens that they sh- Apple shows in marketing materials make this look super complicated, like you're looking at a NORAD screen or something. Whereas all the displays that are shown in these purported marketing materials show a very, very clean, efficient interface where it shows you this one thing, which would please me a lot because it would take back one of the signature things I loved about uh, Wear OS at the very, very beginning when both uh, uh, Google's work and Apple's work were in the very, very early stages, their first commercial stages. I actually preferred Wear OS or Android Wear at the time to uh, Apple Watch OS because Apple Watch was just so complicated to get into anything. It, Apple seemed to have the position that this was going to be another device that you were going to want to fiddle with and give your intention to, whereas the entire premise of Android Wear seemed to be you traditionally you glance at your watch to get a certain to one get one piece of information in this case the time this digital thing will be the exact same thing you glance at it to get one piece of information and then put it back down again if you can't get that information within a few seconds we have failed as designers i would love to see uh, a, an aesthetic a concept that really stuck to that because that would make me very very happy it would make me more satisfied to not have uh, an Apple Watch than I am right now. Um, they uh, Prosser is also saying that uh, uh, they they're claiming that the Pixel Watch was actually ready to go, but delayed due to chip shortages. He's also saying that it will be called the Pixel Watch. Uh, once again, it's these are all good stuff. Not, I don't think he's claiming anything that seems insane. Uh, but again, as always, Prosser is right, except when he's not. So let's not take this as golden. But I, I feel like this is really really encouraging on a personal level because. Uh, one of the th- one of the things that made me uh, one of the things that gr- that closed the deal on my pre-ordering a Pixel Six, and one of the things that sort of like uh, sanded off some of the pain points of spending 
I got the 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 thousand dollars out of Oh, Billy, 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 Billy. I I don't like spending that much money. Though I bought the top of the line Pixel Pixel Six Pro, and it was because I wanted the better camera that was only available in the Pro, and I needed like as much storage as I could get, or I was rather I needed five hundred twelve gigs of storage, and that meant the top of the line one. It didn't make me happy. It made me happy that I was getting a phone that was modern for the first time in like four or five years. But I don't like spending money. But one of the things that took the curse off of it was that I was buying it uh, through the Google store, which meant that I get 10% of that money back in terms of credit. So I've got $110 just sitting there, uh, even though it was like, oh, wow, look at the Black Friday deals on these smart speakers. Oh, wow, look at the smart uh, Black Friday deal uh, on the on smart thermostat. I kind of in the back of my mind had it in my head that in 2022, I bet that Google is going to be releasing a Pixel Watch. And this mean, this is the difference between my having to think about spending $250 to $300 on a new smartwatch that has been un, that's as yet unproven and saying, you know what, for $250 minus $110 in store credit, yeah, I'll go for it. Absolutely. So I'm pretty excited about it. I've, I've always, it's always been kind of a bummer to me. That I can never, fi- I could never find a smartwatch that I really, really liked. I do have a Fitbit, like the 120. I can't remember the name of it, but it came out like 2020, I think. It was the new one in 2020. Uh, exact. It was like more of what I wanted, which was I want several days of battery life. I want it to tell me the freaking time, and I want it to be able to track the, not necessarily my health, but to make sure that I have an ongoing record of how much I'm moving. My God, I'm so sad that I didn't wear it during the New York trip. I would have gotten so much credit for so much stuff, but I'm going to the opera. I need like the static one that doesn't light up when I'm moving my wrist. So, boom. Uh, so there, there it is. Um, I, I've the the danger, however, in all this story is that Apple has traditionally with the iPod, with the iPhone, with the iPad. Uh, not sorry, not the iPad, but with the with the iPod and the iPhone starting off by making it sort of Apple exclusive. So you have to, you have, it only works. You can only sync it up at the time with, uh, with MacBooks and Macintoshes. You can't work with windows. Uh, that was actually sort of dogmatic by Steve jobs until he was yelled at by the people who can yell, who are at Apple, who are entitled to yell at, at Steve saying, no, we, we have 8% of the market. Windows is rather a lot, like 10 times that per, perhaps we'd be interested in taking their money as well as the money of people who have Macs. And of course that's part of how they were able to run the table with both, both products. Uh, it was, it's always seemed weird that Apple has not made the Apple watch compatible with, uh, with windows or with, with Android, with any, excuse me, with, with, with Android devices, with, with anything else, it is possible that they do see that as a tactical advantage where if we sell the Apple watch to, if we make the Apple watch compatible with Android and, and, and Google fit and Fitbit and all these other sort of things, it'll just help people to, it'll help encourage people to, to buy Android devices instead of iPhones. Maybe that is their policy. Uh, but, uh, they have there's no technical reason at this point in the development of the Apple Watch for the Apple Watch to be a, to require an iPhone to activate. So there's always that sort of monster hiding around the next corner that if any comp- competing company came up with a smartwatch for Android that really seemed to get huge, huge market share and 
even uh, Apple users were starting to think, gee, you know, I kind of, you know, I love the Apple Watch, but you know, this is this Google Pixel Watch is more my speed, and I can get I can get working with my iPhone just fine. That's when you see Apple say, hey, get, 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 guess what? <laughs> we we thank you. You're welcome. We've listened to your cry. We've now making the Apple Watch available for uh, interactable with uh, with Android users, and then that's when they're kind of gonna close down all all competition because right now. Apple, it's not just the the technological brand. Apple Watch is the fashion brand. It's the thing you want to be seen wearing on your wrist. So we'll see how that shakes out. Again, I'm really excited. I, I, I'm going to keep that 110 bucks of credit parked in my Google account uh, on the option on the in the hopes that this uh, that this actually comes true. Uh, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I, I I love my I love my two analog watches. I like my Fitbit, but I've always wanted to have like a really good smartwatch because uh, if you can get one with three days of battery life. Why not have it? We'll be wrapping up with some, again, with some promised uh, Hawkeye news after this break. Well, we're going to end on a personal note. Yes, yeah, so you haven't been talking about yourself for the past hour, Andy. I'm glad to see you're, you're finally giving us a peek into your life for once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you. Uh, but so uh, the the Disney Plus series uh, Hawkeye uh, debuted a couple weeks ago. And as 9to5Google uh, noted, and pretty much everybody else, Every time there's a piece of technology, we have to figure out what they're using. And does it say something about the character? And uh, 9to5Google made a made a point that uh, in the new Disney Plus series, Hawkeye is still using a Pixel 3, uh, which he which is the same type of phone he was using in, in, in the Avengers Endgame movie. Um, now, of course, this is Hollywood, so the apps, all the apps that are being shown on these apps are not something we see in our world. They have their own film friendly, friendly user interface, but it's still pretty significant story wise because no spoilers, but Hawkeye lost his phone in that movie. So it means that not only did he replace it with another Android phone, he replaced it with another pixel three, which meant that he just went out and bought the exact same phone immediately. So that makes him into a pixel fan. So rah, rah, we do, we, we like these things. All right. We're nerds. We're, 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 we're multidimensional nerds. So we're nerds for Marvel. We're nerds for Disney movie, Marvel comics, we're news we're nerds for the movies and the TV shows. We're also nerds for the technology. We like, we like to see the sort of reflected in the real world too. It's also nice to have these things reflect character because all too often you have a situation where the, the production company cuts a deal with one company. So this is a world in which everybody has an iPhone and that's, that's not necessarily unrealistic there. You'll see a lot of communities in which, yeah, it seems like everybody that you interact with does have an iPhone, but when you get into like parks and recreation where, okay, <laughs> there, there are a lot of things happening in this show that required a suspension of disbelief, perhaps nothing, no, none greater than the fact that every single person on this show is using a Microsoft windows phone. Like, okay, I have never seen in the war in the world <laughs> outside of a Microsoft event. I have never seen somebody actually using a, a, a windows phone. And yet in Pawnee, Indiana, that's all they use. Uh, they only use like windows, uh, windows, mobile tablets and, Maybe it makes sense because Pawnee, Indiana, Pawnee, Indiana, in this in Parks and Recreation is a very screwed up place. So okay, maybe they kind of fit. But you know what I mean. It, it takes you out. So it's good when uh, 
production designers make a choice where what kind of a phone would this person use? Sometimes you see this in other movies too, where I, I, I've been racking my brains as I've been preparing for the show and this conversation, trying to figure out which one it was. But there was one in which there were a group of characters. One was using a BlackBerry. One was using an, a, a, an iPhone. One was using an Android phone. One was, one was using a candy bar phone. And they all made sense for that character. So it kind of it's it's a bummer when uh, like app they do a deal with Apple. Now everybody's using an iPhone. Everyone has an Apple Watch. Everybody's wearing Apple Air Apple AirPods. Pods. Uh, and it also means that uh, this one company controls like what all these characters can do because we will not have somebody who is stealing money from a convenience store using an iPhone that we know that iPhone users do not steal from convenience phones. They do not they do not tip 18 percent. They tip 30 percent. They are very, very good tippers. Thank you very much. Like, OK, fine, whatever. I mean, you they tried to loosen your grip on the run reality, will you? Uh, on, on control. Okay, but getting, getting at this. So that, that that's that's cool in and of itself. Now we get into the personal stuff. So uh, Kate Bishop, if, you, if you're not familiar with the series, um, it's based on the modern like, uh, Hawkeye series, which took a really, really – took what I thought was a bad idea and made it really, really good. Now, uh, comic books have a history of, oh, well, look, established character. Now here's – teen batman like batman has a robin or like here is wonder woman has wonder girl and so if this were the 70s or 80s kate bishop would have been and now it's teen girl hawkeye hello hawk girl how are you today it's this is more like someone who is of very much the uh, uh, i don't think she's a teenager i think she's a young adult college age but definitely not a kid but new to this hero game but motivated by much the same things having much the same personality also having the same interests and weaponry and sort of puts herself in hawkeye's orbit uh as not necessarily a mentor but as someone who could teach her some stuff you know it's it's what i'm trying to get at it's not the same okay teen teen hawkeye Ooh, teen hawkeye has been taken hostage and now i the real hawkeye have to rescue her it's it's a really good relationship and a really good uh, and not romantic at all. It is sort of it's it's a really it's the difference between grown grown super grown adult versus new adult and the relationships the, the the way that they interact with each other and the way that they see the world. Okay, I promise you, I'm getting at it. I'm getting to it. So uh, we see uh, Kate Bishop who has her phone phone. Uh, she has a Pixel Four. So basically, as makes sense, she would have like the newer ver- the newer version of Hawkeye would have a newer version of the old Hawkeye's phone. Uh, so she gets a phone call, and of course, caller ID picks, uh, identifies the caller and puts a little picture of the caller. And the caller's name is Greer, and it's a woman who seems to be about uh, Kate Bishop's age. This got my full and immediate attention because there is a character that's on the periphery. That's I think one of the greatest unrealized characters in the Marvel universe, uh, Greer Nelson. Uh, she's one of those characters that's been around since the 1970s. She's high profile enough that she has always been there. She's always been in on the action. She is really, really unique in who she is and who she does. She is low profile profile enough that she doesn't get as much respect as she should. She's often like if they, where she often shows up, unfortunately is, one of the Avengers, she's an Avenger. One of the Avengers has been like is being mind controlled by somebody, and now the Avengers have to fight one of their own. She's often pulled out, <laughs> taken off the bench for those sort of things. And it's as a writer, 
I've always thought that, oh man, if I get one dream pitch to like Marvel's editors to write a series, this is the character I would do because I know what I would do with one issue of a, a special one story and one issue of one book. I know what I would do in a six issue miniseries. I know what I would if I if it were a full series. I know what the first year would be, and I know where she would be in five years. Just such she could be such a great character, just like uh, just like uh, the Black Panther, for instance, used to be this very very minor, off to the sides, a very very weird character, and then somebody said, "Well, why is this a the why is why is he a B or C lister in the Avengers? This, this, this he is like one of the most fascinating characters. You could do so much with him, and of course." Now, now he's like one of the most important characters in the franchise, but so it was very, very significant to me that a a un we haven't seen anything of anything of this Greer except for this caller ID thing. For all we know, it was oh she gets a phone call, uh, and the, the in the scene she gets a phone call. It has to be from somebody. I know. Let's pull this name out. Okay, she's here's this character that has some sort of connection with the older Hawkeye in the comic book. So we'll use this. It wouldn't be a fun little in joke for people. But here's the worry. She in the comics, she's sort of a cohort of the older Hawkeye. She's not a cohort of the younger Hawkeye because she's she's in the older Hawkeye's age group. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one of her second to latest appearances, like a couple of years ago, like Hawkeye was on a team of like younger heroes, and again, <laughs> uh, uh, Greer Nelson had been uh, again mind controlled into because mind control and turned into like a you know. 80 foot monster <laughs> until like and they had a fighter and they reversed everything and she was back to normal. And so Greer like, thanks. Hey, thanks. Oh, you beautiful idiot. Thank you so much. And Hawkeye says, yeah, no problem. Hey, you, you wouldn't consider like joining this team because it'd be nice to have at least one real adult here who understands my pop culture references. And of course she turns them down cold. So, yeah, no, thank you. But best of luck to just my two Hawkeyes. Uh, the problem is that she's a friend of the younger Hawkeye, which means that if this were, if if they decide this is a real thing, then now this is not like the thirty something year old person who has been an Avenger for twelve year ten years, like a hero for like twelve or thirteen years, grown experienced adult. Now she has to be like this twenty something year old. I'm kind of new at this. I need to find a mentor. I'm unsure of myself. Like oh dear, it's like. <laughs> So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe maybe Moon Knight may, Moon Knight is another series, uh, another grown adult. Like maybe like there'll be another Greer who like calls that that character in that series, and we'll see. Okay, maybe, maybe now there's two chances for Greer Nelson to be uh, in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the grown adult version, not like some sort of unknown like future rebooted teen Greer Nelson version of it yeah i know this, this doesn't make any sense to anybody but it's important to me okay <laughs> i want because in my fantasy world i'm gonna get that call from marvel anytime saying that we decided that what what we need is to shake things up with somebody who has never written a comic book before never had any never had never had a comic book published before and we decided that at random you're the person to do it Na- name your character name when you when you can have the, your first script due and i don't want this character to be ruined for me i don't want to have to start writing about oh well in the comic book the older the the older greer like suffocated to death because she got her head stuck in a giant like restaurant sized can of beans and oh don't worry don't worry teen greer is gonna follow in her footsteps and do this like i don't want to write that character i want to write the cool character that i'm reading about since like since the 1980s 1990s 
well, I'm sharing my pain with you. This has been a great therapy session, and thank you for listening to it. Uh, Flo will be back next week uh, with lots of stories to tell. Um, as a matter of fact, she tweeted a couple of things about her opinions on the Pixel 6 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but I definitely want to revive that conversation. But as usual, it's going to be great to have her back. You can uh, check out her uh, columns, on, excuse me, her articles on Gizmodo, including the Gadgets podcast, which I continue to listen to and is a really, really great show. I'm really, really enjoying it. Check for the link in the show notes. As for me, you can go to Anatko on Twitter, Anatko on Instagram, I-H-N-A-T-K-O, to uh, see links to what I'm working on, what I'm thinking, and more more fascinating ideas on what could happen with a character's appearance on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, there's more where that came from, dear listeners. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. Hope you'll get to listen to us again next week. Until then, everybody have a happy, healthy, and safe seven days. Bye-bye.